morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Thanks for being here with us on Facebook Live or YouTube later. It's a, it's a privilege to have you here. Uh, just a quick thing before we start, I've got some communion elements here with me because at the end of the sermon today, uh, I'm going to be leading us through communion as it is the first of the month, and we usually do communion together corporately uh, on the first of the month. So if you have some bread and some juice, you can have that alongside you, and I'll lead us through that later. <clears throat> so we're continuing in our letters from Paul series, and today we're going to be going through uh, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, and uh, we're going to be doing first and second, kind of mash them together because it's it's the series is more about uh, Paul's heart being conveyed to a group of people, and so it's not so bad to m- be mining out from both books uh, what he's trying to communicate to specific people at a specific time uh, for a certain reason. And uh, what's been interesting is uh, is doing a little bit of research on who the Corinthians were and and uh, what they stood for and uh, what the issues were at the time that Paul was addressing. And uh, Corinth, just a little bit about it, is it's a Greek city, uh, really affluent, um, and because it's a Greek city, it's uh, almost obsessed with knowledge and uh, higher pursuits and having their solutions be deeper understanding and pulling things apart and dissecting them, and uh, spiritual experiences and uh, kind of the ascension of man to heavenly places, uh, mostly through knowledge and through deep thinking and those sorts of things. And so... Uh, what's interesting is is those aren't necessarily bad things. Knowledge is not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, the pursuit of it has actually caused the church in Corinth to to um, go astray from the original gospel that was preached to them uh, by Paul uh, when he first planted the church. And so this these letters are addressing issues that have come up uh, as the Corinthians have deviated from the original gospel that they were preached. And so uh, uh, this what we're doing for this whole series. And the and it's the same thing that Paul's trying to remind the church in Corinth here of is that truth is a person. And if there's one thing you take away from these six seven weeks that we have doing this uh, series is that truth is a person. And Paul is desperately trying to communicate that to churches that he loves. And it seems as though that the Holy Spirit is very comfortable. In fact, probably prefers to use human messengers uh, like Paul. And it, there's something about the truth of Jesus as a person being our solution to practical things, like all the occasions that Paul will address here in these letters, and we'll go through some of them, it seems as though the gospel being applied to occasions is best done by a real person who loves a real people, helping them walk through real situations to uncover the how, how pervasive, if I can use that word, the gospel really is in our lives. Like how close, how uh, integrated our faith is with real life. And so that's obviously not the most clean thing to explain. You can't just list a set of propositions and go, here's the seven things you got to believe. It's as I got to actually walk you through how to make the personhood and love of Jesus be the center of your life. So Paul's doing that here again in Corinthians for a bunch of different reasons. And we're going to go through some. Uh, what kind of sums up the problem that the church in Corinth is having is, is described really well here in chapter one of the first of Corinthians. And it says this, um, Uh, starting in verse 18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, 
uh, like here in the church in Corinth. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, like Greeks in Corinth. So there's this idea here that you can already see Paul trying desperately to convey the gospel through the fog of culture. And the culture of the church in Corinth would have been very Greek, and it would have been this idea that like you think that you're going to ascend to God through uh, the wisdom of the world. And Paul's saying, no, uh, actually, um, what I'm preaching is going to sound like foolishness to people that don't know Christ in their hearts. It's going to sound crazy. It's going to sound like maybe even the opposite of worldly wisdom. And God's very happy with that, actually, to shame the ways of the world, the, the, the wisdom of the world. God's very happy to go, actually, you don't get to decide what true wisdom really is. It's me. And uh, Paul's trying to convey that to the church in Corinth now. So uh, I think we can be a lot like the Corinthians, actually. Uh, Greeks, you know, Greek culture has heavily influenced ours, if you go back far enough, in that uh, there we really do have, um, I don't know about an obsession, but, but a deep appreciation of this... Um, higher ways of thinking, and actually using intellectualism and knowing more things and having better and better experiences and uh, almost this hyper-spirituality as a way of distancing us from the personhood of God. And that uh, uh, there's just so many opinions and so much content in the world. And it's all, most of it is, is really good stuff. And, uh, and I don't know about you, but I, I get anxious when I start to hear all of the different, um, the different ways in which I could know God better. <laughs> like, maybe you've heard people say this. I, I, I hear it all the time. It's like, have you read this book? And, you know, have you gone to this church? And have you had this experience? Or have you tried this technique? And it's all amazing. And they could very well be beautiful avenues of understanding more of who God is in your life, of course they could, they often are. But I sometimes get nervous that those, the pursuits of that, that knowledge and higher learning and experience and all that stuff, um, are we actually preaching Christ Jesus crucified through those things? Or are we sort of preaching the philosophers of this age? Are we deepening people's understanding of their intimacy with God? Or are we replacing that truth with um, this more more of an intellectual idea of ascending um, beyond this world and beyond the, the the messy intimate stuff into this higher levels of like oh have you have you heard of this you know seen or done all of these new things so it's one thing to help people but I do fear the ditch of preaching anything as a solution other than knowing Jesus <laughs> other than rather than walking with him and loving loving him so uh, uh, I think that the, the pursuit of special knowledge and thinking that there's one more thing I need to learn, there's one more, there's one more, I'm sure there's a technique out there that I have just yet to try <laughs> for me to be closer to God. Um, that probably is one of the, in our culture, probably one of the greatest barriers, uh, or false barriers, to knowing God more personally right here and right now. So this is what the church in Corinth is going through. And uh, if I can sum up the occasion uh, for you in, in the church in Corinth, it's, it's this. The Corinthians' hyper-spirituality has not translated into godly behavior. So uh, their pursuit of knowledge and new techniques and new experiences and 
new ways of thinking has not translated into right living. It's not translated into right relationship, into closeness, into church unity, into uh, whole relationships. It's, 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 it's caused fragmentation and immorality. So Paul's going, okay, you, you, you're on this grand quest for, uh, I don't know, new ideas and thoughts and, um, yeah, I don't know, <laughs> just things that you enjoy. But it's not building unity and it's not building relationship, which is what the Spirit is always trying to do. So I need to do a bit of a course correct here. And uh, in order to understand what the Corinthians are going through, uh, I'd like to teach you kind of a fancy word. And it's, it's this. It's called uh, Gnosticism. And that's the fancy word for sort of what the, the church in Corinth would be, have a propensity towards. And it's this idea that you separate uh, the world from all the spiritual things. Uh, what is it here? Um, there's a secret knowledge that you need to, to, to find to ascend to God. And there's a big chasm between the two. Uh, we're divine souls that are trapped in a human body. Uh, there's this Platonic thought from Plato that freedom is to leave the body which is gross and bad and terrible, and ascend to a cosmic level of perfection. Uh, so separation being the key word here. Body, bad. Spirit, good. <laughs> and uh, this, can, this, can, this, this idea of Gnosticism can lead into two ditches. The first would be a legalistic squashing of, this, of all that's bad and the world. And you beat yourself with a rod and go, uh, all that's of this world is bad and ugly and gross and I need to rid myself of it and we need to become legalistic and make sure that the, we never touch the world and all the gross things. And uh, that would be one approach. And then the other would be the opposite. It would be a liberal uh, approach of going, the world doesn't really matter. Like that, there's the spiritual realm that I'm trying to ascend to and what goes on down here is kind of inconsequential. How I live my life, uh, my body, my, the, the, my decisions, my choices are very distant and separated from what's really going on spiritually. So it doesn't actually really much matter. Uh, but in both cases of legalism of squashing the bad world or liberalism and thinking it doesn't really matter, there's still this issue that we're bifurcating and or separating, dividing into body and spirit. Okay, so why is that a problem? Big deal. Well, it is a big deal because probably one of the most beautiful and important aspects of our faith is the opposite of Gnosticism and that's Called another big word called incarnational theology. And that is the idea that uh, the spirit and God actually is infiltrating the world and working in and amongst it to redeem it from the inside out. There's not a separation of the heavenly realms and then the earthly realms. It's like, no, no, no. God's like, I want to enter. I, I'm going to enter it. So of course, the best example we have of this is Jesus who became man and, and, and said, which is just a wild thought if you stop and think about it for a second. But, uh, God decided to redeem the world by entering into it. And the fancy word we use for that is incarnational. But it's this unity of spirit and body and the, the heavenly and the worldly, which is pretty wild. So uh, this would be why Jesus says, I am the way, not this is the way. Like, I'm right here. Like, come follow me. I'm, I'm right here. I am the way. Know me as opposed to this is the way we'll see on the other side. So maybe these sound like big fluffy words that don't make a lot of sense, but when we stop and pause and go, okay, actually, hold on, that's really, really important that God would say, come follow me as a person. Don't, don't, as opposed to, here's some high and lofty ideas that if you understand and you perform correctly, uh, you will ascend beyond this world and come find me somewhere. And that's just not what's going on. 
So, uh, Paul is desperately trying to remind uh, the Corinthians of the implications that their Gnosticism and their separation of body and spirit is having. And, there, and, and I'm just going to pick four occasions. There's so many occasions in Corinthians. There's so many problems in that church. And so I'm going to pick four that are kind of overarching banners. And then what I want to do is I want to look through uh, a Gnostic way of viewing that and a incarnational way of viewing that. Now, I hopefully I'm not losing you, and hopefully these big words aren't, you know, seemingly like, seem like they don't matter. But here's what my hope is for you, is that you'll see like I did, as we look at the Gnostic approaches to each of these occasions, uh, I do those all the time. And I actually have a strong propensity towards not having my faith actually infiltrate my life and not having my walk with Jesus affect my everyday. And the, the, yeah, the incarnational ways of living <laughs> are so fruitful, but sometimes quite elusive if we don't have a good understanding of what Jesus is really trying to do in and through us. So uh, the first uh, occasion and issue that we can look at in Corinthians to highlight this, this, uh, this tension is the issue of uh, leader preference. Uh, they were getting into some arguments in the church in Corinth because, you know, Paul came and preached first and this guy Apollos came and he was saying things that are not necessarily different, but maybe they had their own spin because everybody has their own flavor. And then what uh, what was happening was that people in the church in Corinth would be like, I follow Paul. And then some people were saying, oh, I follow Apollos. And uh, so here's the here's what happens in a Gnostic way of thinking is, is the sentence could look something like, um, I follow whatever teaching enlightens me. And when we're focusing on what feels interesting and feels like it, you know, meets a need of like a light bulb going off and wow, I really like that or I, I resonate with that. And if we're pursuing enlightenment, uh, then we get lost with following different streams of teaching and people as the point. And Paul is really scared of about this, being like, okay, hold on here. You know that we're not the point, right? Like, you know that the nuances between Paul, between me and Apollos, like, don't build everything on our differences. Why, what are you mishearing? What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing knowledge? Because if you're pursuing knowledge, you're gonna hear all the differences between us. But if you're pursuing Jesus, you're, it's all gonna round out to grow in intimacy with him. So I'm concerned for you, Paul speaking to the Corinthians. And he says this uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven four. He says, uh, for if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. And so Paul's frustrated here being like, someone could come along and say something totally different, but if you think it's interesting or it tickles your ears or you agree with it, you're going to follow that and run off with it. And he's going, no, don't, uh, if you don't know Jesus and you're pursuing ideas, you're going to get you're going to follow something else or follow people, which is dangerous. <laughs> you follow Jesus. And so uh, it, it leads to this big fragmentation of the church of pursuing ideas. Uh, so a more incarnational way of viewing, you know, leader preference would be uh, knowledge serves knowing him. And preaching and teaching and leadership should always be leading you towards Christ not new ideas for the sake of them, but a deepening, under, deep understanding of, uh, of Jesus as a person more and more and more, which is why churches are described as families that have fathers. And Paul is saying, you know, you have 10,000 teachers, but like you only have a few fathers. Uh, 
there, there, it, there's something about fathers that know you and love you conveying the heart of the gospel to you, trying to unify that instead of just coming along and saying whatever tickles your ears. And uh, Paul really chastises these super false apostles that come into these churches and say, here's a new thought I had, give me 20 bucks. And that was really, that really plagued the church in Corinth too, of people coming in and saying, I have a new idea, check this cool way of thinking this thing. And, uh, and then they charge money and, and then people would follow that and it created all these sects and stuff. And Paul's saying, ah, like I really love you though. And I'm trying to draw you closer to Christ, not just give you a better idea. So that's a big deal. So he says in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 3, 10, it says, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. Uh, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus is not the foundation of all of our teaching, and if you're not pursuing him, it's going to lead to dramatic fragmentation in the church. And we kind of see that today, don't we? Another occasion that we'll go, that we'll look at to highlight this is sexual immorality and promiscuity. And so what a Gnostic view of this area would, would, would sound something like is um, my actions my faith and actions are unrelated. What I do with my body and with my life and my decisions and my actions don't have all that much implication into what is going on in the spiritual realm. And uh, there's forgiveness and stuff too. And, uh, and um, it's just really not that big a deal. And I have some desires. And um, if, I, if I act on them every now and again, it's really not that big of a deal because like, I mean, it's just the flesh. It's just my body. What can I do? You know, I... And I have needs, and um, and I'll get around to I'll get around to fixing it, and I'll ask for forgiveness and all these things. And it's this casual approach, very convenient casual approach to sexual immorality uh, that has a lot of earthly pleasurable benefits. And it's this convenient sort of stance that it doesn't really matter, and what you do with your body doesn't really affect your heart and your relationship with God. And Paul would say very much the opposite. Um, he's very strong on this point. This is in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12. I have the right to do anything, you say. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And so to sum up, the incarnational view of this would say, um, your body belongs to Christ. Like you're bought with a price. It's his body. He lives in you. He wants to unite himself with you. He wants to be one with you. Like you talk about incarnation. Like he wants to live inside you. And Paul is going, you're, you're downplaying your sexual immorality. And that's deeply offensive because do you not know what your body's designed to be? It's designed to be a temple. It's designed, like, would you unite Jesus with the, th that? <laughs> like you can't, this is not, they're not separate. Is your motivation for purity the fact that you, you're one with God and that you, like, it's important. They are connected. Your actions, your actions with your body are connected to your spiritual life. 
because they're not as distant as you think they are. And when you pull them apart, it's very convenient for you because you're like, I can do this over here and it really doesn't affect my faith and I'll get around to that later. Paul is very strong in making sure that we don't have a Gnostic view of this. Uh, another one is uh, food consumption. Uh, and so just to explain, you know, in that, in that time, uh, the, the, the church in Corinth, they would have been living in a Greek city and it would have been very common for there to be food sacrificed to idols. And they're wondering, you know, if there's been foods that's been sacrificed to idols, are we still allowed to eat it? And uh, Paul's basically saying, uh, yeah, it's actually really not that big a deal. Like, it's not really cursed. They're, those gods aren't real. <laughs> and if you're hungry, like, eat the food. Uh, but there's a caveat to this. Um, if people who worship those idols know you're a Christian and see you eating it, they're going to maybe trivialize it and, uh, and um, they're going to be led astray. So there's actually a bit of a, of a, of a nuance here where it's like, um, there's nothing actually wrong with that. It's a bit of a gray area. And it, but, but if it causes your brother to stumble and it causes you to, to, not, uh, to not point to Jesus very well in your public life, then, then don't eat it. And so uh, here's, here would be a Gnostic way. Of, and, and so maybe you're, uh, I should probably give a, a good gray area for you to, because we don't really struggle with, <laughs> we don't have a lot of food sacrificed to idols that we wonder whether we should eat or not. But you can think about another gray area in your life. One that comes to mind for me is alcohol. Uh, is the consumption of alcohol inherently bad? No. Uh, does it le could it lead to a whole bunch of terrible things? Yes. Are there people that struggle with it that could be led astray by seeing someone else? Yes. But there's nothing wrong with it inherently. So Maybe that's a helpful example you can process this through with. And what a Gnostic view of, uh, of gray areas uh, would do is it would prioritize this idea and it, it would say, my conscience is clean. And uh, sin is just a feeling. And if I feel okay about it, if I feel okay about it, um, then it's fine. And it's about me, like personally, internally, uh, in a kind of an isolated sort of sense, doing whatever I feel like is okay. And, but Paul is saying, actually, it's, it has more implications than you just being an island. First uh, Corinthians 8, chapter 12, uh, verse 12 says this, When you sin against them, being the people that worship the idols, in this way, and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. So an incarnational way of viewing this is saying, my choices, my choices actually impact God and others. Uh, sin isn't just a feeling, it actually affects things around me. The way that I live my life has, the way that I live my life points to Jesus, to those around me. Uh, my, my choices and behaviors and the things that I choose to do with my body and my mind and my time, uh, I'm not just an island. I'm, I'm a reflection of Christ. What, who is in me pours out of me in every single way. And so I, I am charged with displaying who he is in every aspect of my life. So Paul's going, if you're hungry and you're by yourself, I mean, just eat it. It's not, it's not going to poison you. But think about other people. Think about, like, live like the spirit would live. It's, it's constantly thinking about others and the implications into the world around you. All right, last one. Uh, church unity. Um, what was going on here in Corinth is... Uh, the, the church in Corinth was on a, on a quest, as you know, Greeks would be, on, on a, uh, more and more spiritual experiences and, and having different gifts all be manifested. And so they were all speaking over top of each other. And the church services were turning into chaos and it was getting out of order because people were trying to create these beautiful, customized 
spiritual high experiences. And so I think I, we can resonate with, a lot, with this a lot, actually, is um, uh, uh, a Gnostic way of viewing this is um, I want to have spiritual experiences. I want to be part of a church and part of a community that uh, uh, tickles my, <laughs> I don't know, gives me goosebumps and, and helps me feel it all the time. Like I really want to feel it. And it doesn't so much have to do with the real world. Uh, that's good, all the discipleship stuff. That's all kind of like, yeah, also that. But maybe. But uh, how do I feel? You know, is this is this is this tickling my ears? Does it make me feel warm and fuzzy inside? And I'm on a pursuit of an experience. And Paul is very quick to go. Okay, no, uh, God has given you His Spirit for sure, and we need to we need to uh, he, we have the Spirit. But the Spirit is actually leading us towards a common good of unity. The Holy Spirit's not trying to create spiritual experiences so much as he's trying to unite the body of Christ. And and it says that the Spirit is given for the common good. And what creates church belonging and church unity is a bunch of people using the Spirit not to to create an experience that they enjoy, to ascend to some feeling they all want, but to actually go... uh, the Spirit of God has is, 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 is given me gifts and it's given me things that I really like, but it's part of this bigger piece of, 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 of creating the church that displays the beauty of Jesus in a way that we have to only do together and we have to get along to do that. And so this is really important too, is that uh, uh, an incarnational way of, of viewing this would be like, God's given me his Spirit and that is the true experience that I that I'm longing for and where is it leading me is it leading me to the common good for those around me or am I just trying to use that spirit to feel something and to create an experience so I, I hope I hope it's helpful to, to pull those things apart and as you look at this top row I don't know about you but it actually makes a lot of sense and I see myself in a lot of those sentences uh, like I, I I enjoy spiritual experiences I love those I I, I love when I I um, uh, only have to worry about my own conscience. It actually kind of makes kind of sense. Like, you know, get off me. Like, live your own life. I don't care how my deci- I don't want my decisions to affect you. Uh, I, I love it when my faith and actions are seemingly unrelated because I can kind of do whatever I want and get around to fixing my relationship with God later in some other way. Or perhaps I, I really enjoy teachings that enlighten me and I, I want to, I don't know, I like learning new things. And why is that so bad? So the top row <laughs> makes a ton of sense, but we started off this with, 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 with uh, Paul's sort of plea to go, okay, I know that that makes a lot of sense in a, in a worldly sense. And if we can sum up that worldly view, it's quite selfish. There's a lot of me's and my's in that top row. I don't know if you noticed. <clears throat> so what is this idea that, that, that the, there's fool, the, the way of the world is foolishness, but the way of the spirit is is, is is what's good and what we're trying to pursue. And I want to read this chunk of scripture because I think it helps sum up um, this idea. So God's wisdom is revealed by the Spirit. So let me read this piece. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God's, that we, we may understand what God has freely given us. 
This is what we speak, not in human words taught us by human wisdom, but in the words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to mere human judgments for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So, uh, what Paul is trying to say here is that there is something about the Spirit of God living inside of us that teaches us to see what he's doing in everyday life. And you're, we won't see it unless we're pursuing the Spirit of God living inside of us, being active. Otherwise, we'll just see earthly wisdom and we'll continue to separate uh, earthly things from heavenly things and go, oh, the Spirit's way up here. And instead, Paul's trying to say, no, no, no. The Spirit of God lives inside of you and he's trying to, re- he's trying to uh, show you what's really going on in the world. And not to separate the two, but to, have him be- but to have him work through you and by you and for you and with you. And, uh, and you, what, is, what does it say here? Uh, if you don't have the Spirit, you can't understand them because it's only discerned through the Spirit. So the question becomes, and it's like, how do we have the Spirit? What, is, what does it look like to walk in that? What is the Spirit doing? How can I know? How can I know what He's up to? How can I walk with Him and, and grow closer? And how can He... What can I do to have him show me what's really going on in the world around me? Well, I think the best sum up here in Corinthians is in this sentence. This is what we'll conclude with. Is in 1 Corinthians 8, it says says this. We know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. So here's here's the main point, is that uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And what the Spirit is always doing is He's always building relationship between us and God and us and other people. He's always doing that. And it's what the Spirit longs to do. It's actually a plan for the whole world. It's to go, okay, know me and walk with me and let me show you how instrumental you can be in building the kingdom of love. There's a kingdom of love being built. (laughs) It's called my church, and I want to use you to do it. And this kingdom is upside down. It's not going to make sense. It's not going to feel like the wisdom of the world. It's not going to be about pursuing knowledge for knowledge's sake, about puffing yourself up, about about, uh, making your own way. It's going to be about acknowledging the real king of the world, knowing that he's deserves it and he deserves to be followed and then he's gonna he's gonna use you by his spirit to build his kingdom of love uh uh i love the sentence those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know like it's if you think you know something and you think you're better or that there's um that you've somehow graduated beyond love and beyond what the spirit's doing then you don't yet know what's really going on and you don't yet know what these spiritual realities are actually trying to accomplish. Uh, so, I think that, uh, <laughs> if I can just get practical here to end, is that there's a great way um, to, to avoid a Gnostic sort of faith. 
that kind of separates the world from, from spirituality. And there's a great way to, to avoid it, and is to ask yourself this question is, am I actually loving God or others practically? Am I actually making disciples? Am I actually multiplying disciples that love God one another in the world? We picked that, you know, um, mission statement for a reason. Is that's where the Spirit's going. That's what He's doing. And I think He would long to show you how closely He would want to walk with you and work through you. I think he would long to show you how you don't need some ne- some other set of knowledge. Some you know, there's not some level you need to s- <laughs> ascend to. Uh, but right here and right now, the Spirit can highlight to you what He's really doing, and how He's longing to use you to 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 reconcile others, and He's longing to draw you closer to the one you were designed to know. That's what the Spirit's doing, and that's true knowledge. So, uh, I fear for Christians who, who, who don't make disciples. We get lost. We just get lost in, you know, what am I for or against? Or what do I think about this little thing? Or maybe I could learn more about that. Or, maybe I'll take that thing someone built and I'll deconstruct it and pull it all apart to see if I really think that it's for me. I suppose those things can be helpful sometimes. But, I don't know. I just think Christians are mostly bored. <laughs> mostly just bored with never-ending pursuits of a deeper understanding of a distant God. And understanding him more was never going to be the solution for intimacy. Walking with him will be that. Loving what he loves longing for his heart. Don't long for a new technique or experience. Long for him as a person. And it's actually way more simple than, it's awkwardly simple. It's praying prayers like, God, help me need you. Help me want you. Show me what you're up to. Use me in real life. Help me not to justify my sin, but to, but to long for, for, like, show me how there you are with me. So here's my prayer for us as a church is that we would be people who follow Jesus. It sounds funny, like, duh. But in light of what was just said, following Jesus is a term we use a lot because of how true it is. We follow him in real life, in real situations. And I'm thankful for Paul's example of looking at all these seemingly complicated issues and going, is Jesus your foundation? Are you pursuing him? Is he your first love is he who you're longing for? And I appreciate his brokenness and his frustration as he longs to communicate this. And so we have an opportunity today to take communion together. This is a great example of something that's incarnational as we choose to remember that God entered this world and died for us and that he made a way not by creating a great set of ideas but by paving the way of t- tearing the veil for it so that he could live inside you and me and advance his kingdom through us so he could dwell with us. This is what this means. And so, uh, conveniently, we often read out of Corinthians to take communion. And so, uh, if you have your bread and your and your juice, or your wine, or whatever you have with you, you can take that out now and you know, hold it in your hands and pass it out. And I'm just going to read this. As we often do here in Corinthians, Paul trying to explain all of these things to this church. 
So it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You can take a drink. Lord, I thank you for how living and active and personal you are and the lengths that you went to to be with us. And oh, Father, would you, would you give us a faith that helps us walk with you and that changes the world around us. Father, would, would, our, would our knowledge of you uh, change our behaviors and circumstances? Would our love for you be our motivation? I thank you that your love for us was your motivation to go to the cross. Why would we live our lives any differently? So God, we choose to take up our cross and follow you because we love you. We love you so much and we're so grateful for what you did. And I pray that as we worship, we'd have a deeper revelation of, of, of how solid a foundation you are, of how worthy you are of pursuit, and how worthy you are of being, of, of being followed in every occasion and in every season. We can always find you. And we thank you for that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.